A friend of mine said to me recently, I guess you really don't talk politics at all anymore, do you? That's largely true, but I thought we would give it, give that part of the world some time today on this edition of the Corey Act Show. I think what happened to me over the years is I, I'm very practical, and the thing that I do talk f- for the purpose of both entertainment, I hope you're entertained when you tune in, but also to inform in a meaningful way, like inf- inform on things that matter that will actually have some impact on either your life or the world around you. And I started to get very skeptical about anything good coming from governments, that there's that there weren't solutions there or that what solutions were there were so minute and that real solutions, real life change happens in your house. I still believe that, but politics is what brought me to the show, right? It's what brought me to microphones. And it's a part of life that is important, sort of. It's it's certainly made more important than it is in many of our imaginations because of news sources. I think it's partly just because it's content. We... We want to consume something, and uh, for like guys my age, it, if you were going to consume video games versus news, it feels more adult, more important. If you're a news junkie, it's it seems more uh, edifying as a hobby in some ways, uh, and because we we just want to consume content, we we struggle to just sit with our thoughts. We struggle to maybe consume more Christian content, so we just go to what the world is offering us, and the world is offering us sports, and if you don't like sports, then it's offering you TV and movies and things to stream, but if there's nothing there, then one of the other options as an entertainment product is news. And I don't want to do it that way, but there are three things I want to do today on the Corey Truax Show. I will introduce those to you in just a moment. First, thank you for listening wherever you find podcasts to the show. I'm glad you're here. You can contact me at Corey Truax show at gmail.com, Corey Truax show at gmail.com. Also on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, you'll find me there, and you can send me things that you think should be covered on the show. Uh, it's occurring to me, somebody sent me something that I meant to. I'll do that on the next show because one of you sent me something I wanted to discuss. Let's stay with my outline. Three things today. One is the primary process that's coming into view. Two, some real reporting now, some crystallization around corruption in the current administration's family. I want to stay on the facts with that uh, so that you're not... There's a lot of commentary that doesn't start with the facts, and so I want to make sure you have the absolute confirmed things, and then some commentary on what it all might mean. Then some bad strategy, I think, is taking place with the people that tend to represent more conservative things and... I think by product, they, they do it quite poorly, but the party that more is more likely to promote biblical worldview ideas has a bad strategy that I want to cover. So starting here with primary process. For those inclined to participate in voting in Republican primaries, if you are in this state of South Carolina, you are not contextually all that far from casting that vote. We are usually third in the calendar, so that usually means first or second Saturday of February, you'll be up. If you want to cast some kind of voice in who will be facing off against, presumably, the current President of the United States, uh, facing off against him in November of 2024. 
I say presumably because, just bottom line, he's an old, old man, and I would w- wish nothing ill on anybody. The biblical view here is even even wicked leaders, pray for, pray for them, so don't want anything bad to happen to him. He is an older person, and it, it is obvious that there are some, even in his own party, positioning themselves to be the obvious choice if for some health reason he can't continue. That's what California Governor Gavin Newsom is doing. That's why he seems to be in a constant battle with Ron DeSantis, of all people, from Florida, because he's keeping himself in the news. He's actually running ads that look like presidential ads, but he's not going to do it. He's just trying to set himself up in case something bad happens to the president of the United States. So you have a chance here to voice who you'd like to see face off against the president. I just want to tell you how I think that race is shaping up and then give you my, my current preference. There, this would be a really fascinating race if it were not for the guy who's dominated politics for almost 10 years now with uh, President, former President Donald Trump. Because if it were not for him, this would be a really interesting uh, experiment on the strands of conservatism that, uh, that, have, that have existed in some of the new strands that are emerging. I thought about uh, something Rick Warren said about this. Rick Warren, at the most recent Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, came to the mic when he was trying to argue that his church should be reinstated and said, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention represents no fewer than, I think he said, 11 strands of Baptists, different kinds of Baptists. And I can tell that's, I think he's probably right. I don't know if it's 11, but it's a lot because there are more independent fundamental type Baptist churches who have joined the convention there are various types of Baptist tradition all in one convention together. And while he was ultimately wrong about the argument he was making about Baptists, the, there is something very true in our political system because we only have two parties. That's a rarity in the world. If you think about Israel, Britain, France, Italy, Canada, actually Canada is close to two-party system. And even in some of those I mentioned, there are two dominant parties, but from time to time, a third party actually does win some elections, and what those two major parties do, and let's say a Britain, Labour and the, oh, what are they called? The Labour Party and then the other party. I think they actually might just call it the Conservative Party. The They have to cobble together coalitions of six and seven and eight smaller parties to get majorities to their parliament. And so those systems just say out loud, they recognize all of the different substrata that ultimately make up a majority governing coalition. Here we just have the two parties, and we're, we're less good at recognizing all the little substrata that make up that party. So in this race, it would be interesting to see the, the let's call it the traditional, the tradcon, traditional conservative, more Reagan-esque. And by Reagan-esque, I mean the embracing of worldwide markets, that's free markets, free trade, embracing of positive message, so a positive disposition, optimism about the future, and a little bit more, uh, yeah, hopefully a lot more, at least, at least rhetorically, discipline on spending. This is my kind of conservatism, shrinking government. It would be interesting to see that that ideology, which right now is primarily being represented by, I would say, a Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, which is super, I think it's super cool that we have two South Carolina folks running. And for all of the 
claims of, of racism in the South. I mean, these are two people that South Carolina catapulted onto the political scene are immensely popular in this state. And that's crazy for a state that's apparently super racist and doesn't like women. They are the, the Reagan-esque types, very tradcon, but to see them debate against or have the conversation publicly with, let's go with, let's go with a Ron DeSantis, who is more, uh, who more represents, I call it a muscular conservatism that is very comfortable with using government to get what it wants and to do things they think are virtuous and often are correct. There's even, I uh, can't remember who is running, uh, I think DeSantis has signed on to this, but like Mark, Marco Rubio and Mitt Romney have, uh, senators from Florida and Utah respectively, have a, a plan that would cost a lot of money that would both uh, give, what's it called, uh, it would be ch- childcare, paid for in a lot of ways, and it's a, just a giant tax credit if you have kids. Because both of these guys, one's a Roman Catholic, one is a Mormon, recognizing we have a major problem. We're not having kids. Actually, the New York Times reported this week that our average age is older than it's ever been. The average American is almost 40 now. You know, 50 years ago, the average American was like, uh, was I think in their 20s still. We just were running out of people, and if we're not going to import a bunch, we need kids. And I think Marco Rubio and Mitt Romney look at not having kids and go, all right, well, people are in part not having kids because they can't afford kids because childcare is insanely expensive. You, most people are making the choice to have a lifestyle that they need two incomes to support that lifestyle. And uh, we, we want people to ha- have more kids, so let's redistribute some wealth and have a child tax credit that's very large. That's, a, that's a, something that a old-school conservatism would have never suggested, that government has that kind of... Uh, social engineering, maybe you, we, you'd even call that. But I also think those people, Rubio and Romney, and the guys representing some of their their thinking, I would put DeSantis in that argument as the more muscular, we're going to use government to do things that we think are good and encourage things that we think are good. I, I would largely argue against them in the past. But I think they have some value. Because I'm, I even recognize... 2023 is not 2003. The, the world has changed. That doesn't change what's right and wrong. But it does. it gives us an opportunity to have interesting discussions about what the role of government is supposed to be. And if, if it has any kind of role, and even then in, in Christian circles, having concessions, recognizing, no, a government shouldn't. No, go- government should not do the following. Let's say, try to incentivize you into having children by having large child tax credits. But we do live right now. And right right now it's a broken world. We're moving towards a positive one. And so right now, is that something we could we could support? You could support somebody who does it. I remember talking about this back in 2000, I think it would have been 18, 19, when Andrew Yang was running for president. He was a congressman from Cal, I think, wait, from New York or California, I can't remember. And he introduced the idea of an, uh, what was that called? Universal basic income. Just sending everybody government money every month, but it was eliminating everything else. So there is no Section 8 housing, there is no WIC, there is no SNAP benefits, or there are no SNAP benefits. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, I think all of them went away. There was just one big lump sum payment. And I remember wrestling at the time with this reality. Is that a biblical worldview thing to do? No. We wouldn't have government playing that kind of role. I mean, government 
doing that means it is overstepping its realms of authority. It's now into the household playing uh, provider. And it's now in the, uh, I don't know if it goes into the church that way, but ultimately you're going to have to get tax more to do that, and you're going to take money out of the hands of Christians to maybe do church-related things. That's a little bit of a stretch of an argument. I, I recognize that. My point there being, here was an idea, replace your current welfare state with a different welfare state. And so for the believer, you sit here and go, should there be a welfare state from the government? No, that's not a government's role. There's some possibility that in uh, that the government would do as a as an instrument for what the reformers called the deserving poor, uh, widows and orphans, or the indigent, those who genuinely can't help themselves, certainly not our welfare system. But so now I'm being asked as a Christian, you're going to have, a, you're going to have a welfare system. You're going to live in a country that has one. Which one do you want? Which one's the better one? And so similar, similar conversation I would love to have in these primaries with, uh, you got the government you've got. It does social engineering. It does a bunch of stuff it's not supposed to do. And while you're on the 200, 300-year project of seeing a more biblical world, what, what can you accept? What can you support along the way? So those are the things I would, I would love to have in this process. But we will largely not have them. There is, there, there's the gorilla in the room. I mean, he, it's, it's almost comical. I think I've gotten to that place because I used to be so angry about it. Now it's comical to me how much Donald Trump dominates everything. It's a, it's just a, it's a funny reality. The, well, let me so good, let me let me go ahead and just give you my preferences, as if they as if they matter. My preference has grown to be in this primary process, Tim Scott from this state. If you go listen to him, just go listen to an hour of him, find some YouTube, you'll find, hey, he kind of sounds like Corey. Or uh, more likely, I probably sound like him. He's obviously the senator from South Carolina, and I'm a nobody. But that that general disposition is awesome to me. He's just just positive guy. And he, he radiates positivity. He radiates optimism that we're, we can go in the right direction. We might be going in the wrong direction right now, but we can turn it around. Like He, he has this aura that's not battle-ready. His attitude isn't, let's go to war with our enemies. His attitude is, let's go make a better world. Whereas some of the others, their attitude is battle. I'd even put a little bit Nikki Haley into that into that category, Vivek Ramaswamy can get there, although I find him to be, he's interesting. He's only a little older than me. I think he's a year older than I am. Guy's running for president. He's interesting because he comes up with the most unique ideas. He's just the idea candidacy. and So he will be like my number two, just because he seems to have more positive disposition. He's just like, the hey, here's new ideas that no one's ever heard before. It's not the same general script that you give. And then you do have the person who's likely going to get my vote, even though I just said I prefer Tim Scott, I prefer his positivity, his optimism, his his general f- feel of moving towards a positive world within the political sphere. You got the DeSantis's. And his aura is war. We have enemies to defeat, and I will be the one who can defeat them. I, I say he'll probably get my vote because I, it appears this is a two-man race. It appears it's a... There's Trump who's going to be stuck between 35 and 40 percent, 
And then there's like 60%, 60 to 65% of people who will vote this primary who don't want him, who do not like him. They're choosing someone else. But they're just splitting in a bunch of different directions, which led last time, and again this time, to him being the nominee. But my interest would be him not being the nominee. And so while I prefer Scott, I suspect DeSantis is going to be the closest. And if you're wanting, you may not be wanting me to, but uh, as I war game that out, and I guess the word is, I guess I'm just counting the delegates, if there's enough attrition, enough people dropping out over time, there is a way to to get to do what Ted Cruz almost did, which was force a uh, a convention where you actually choose the candidate there by the delegates who show up and have a brokered convention. I don't think anybody. I, I mean this. I, I don't. I don't think there's a way anyone beats Donald Trump outright. Just wins the nomination from him. You might be able to force a brokered convention. And then the powerful people in the background might be able to choose someone else. Maybe. I mean, I, I would be hopeful. So, the I, I think that's all I would say there. That's the that's how it's shaping up. I I prefer the the more Reagan esque types and don't particularly like all the culture war type stuff of of DeSantis. I think it's that's a realms of authority thing too. Like, yes, you want laws to do righteous things, but ultimately, I would love. Th- politicians to I don't know it's that's hard I was gonna say politicians to do government things and the church to do culture things but ultimately government has a big part in the culture as well and I, th- I think ultimately it is for just for me disposition I talked about this last week with the SBC I don't enjoy people with I, I don't identify with I don't tend to want to associate with combative people there are things worth fighting over I just think there's a lot of people who are like can we fight please I would, I would say back, you think we might be able to accomplish what you want without fighting? No, let's fight. I want to fight. Right, I'm not, okay. Those, those people, I don't, this is a strong word. I tend to be repulsed. I just, I have an instinct. Oh, that person's combative. That person's angry. That person talks in tones and uses words that are naturally antagonistic. And I, just, I live in, on a plane where I want to convince somebody of something. And I just know I'm never going to antagonize someone into changing their mind. It's not how it works. It's, it's already very hard for anyone to change their mind on anything. Treating someone like an enemy along the way usually doesn't, doesn't work. All right, so that was uh, story one. Two. And these la- numbers two and three are connected. One is this, this story that is developing and breaking regarding the President of the United States, Joe Biden, and his son, Hunter, is intriguing. I haven't been intrigued by many political stories for a long time. It just it just seems like there actually is some kind of real corruption here that deserves some attention. Now, I also want to sound different than everybody else that does this. So this will upset some of you. But I, don't want, I do want to humanize the people we're talking about. I mean, ultimately... Yes, the President of the United States pursues evil things. That is what he's done. He's done, he's done it his entire life. And lest he repent, he'll stand before God for what he has done, what he has supported. The things that he has done, he will be punished for forever. And at the same time, not but at the same time, and at the same time, I'm told to pray and pray for those in authority. 
honor the king. And if early Christians could honor Nero however they did it, I can I could talk about the President of the United States without having to be denigrating. And and then I just did both, right? The prophetic thing. Yes, what you're pursuing is evil. You need to repent. Every every plank of what you're doing is sin. And you need to repent of it. It's been your whole life. That's one. And I don't then have to denigrate. I can recognize he's a human. He's made in the image of God. He is just both dumb, evil, or both. Like just those, those, are, those are the ideas that developed over, over time. I don't even like saying that. that. That felt odd coming out of me saying dumb. But there's the second person, Hunter Biden, who is very real. This guy's had a seems to be a criminal. Not just seems. He is a criminal. He's broken tax laws, broken gun laws. He's broken prostitution laws. This guy is he is a he's a criminal corrupt person and also not but but and also i want to recognize that a couple weeks before his dad took the, took his father took a senate seat and kind of disappeared in his life there was a, a car accident wherein he lost family members and it seems like he never recovered it seems that it broke him so much that he fell in fell into medicating that hurt through drugs and pleasure. I think I mean, there's nothing like a, a car wreck that takes away family members of yours that will make you go, all right, well, this life is meaningless. I'm going to get all the pleasure I can get. You know, I'm preparing for a sermon series in the book of Hebrews, and one of the really compelling lines that I just I must have read a hundred times in my life, and it never hit me, talks about how Jesus, through suffering, conquers death. Through death, conquers death. So that we may not have a lifelong slavery to death. That is a, that's a compelling phrase, lifelong slavery. That if we, if we actually dwell on it and think about it, we can become obsessed over it. And humanity has done that. The, and the two, two uh, philosophical groups formed around it. One group was, death is so overwhelming, it makes everything meaningless. It doesn't matter what we do here. Death ends up swallowing up every, everything anyway, and they become the existentialists where nothing really matters. And then there were the, I'm forgetting the name of the philosophical system right now, but they end up being the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, so I want to get every experience I can get. I want every pleasure I can possibly amass myself because death is coming and life is all I got, so I better amass pleasures. The hedonists, that's it, the hedonists. And so... Uh, Hunter Biden took the hedonist route. He saw death, and he's been in a lifelong slavery to death. And his what he's been slave to then are his passions and pleasures. And he has pursued them ruthlessly. And now what, what we're seeing through an IRS, they're calling it a whistleblower, bringing out some WhatsApp messages and some currently not totally verified, but s- seemingly authentic documents and testimony that say at least these things are true. Hunter, Bri- Hunter Biden broke a lot of tax laws. He called on a tax form a, I think, $50,000 membership to what is ultimately a sex club. He called it a golf uh, a, a golf membership and tried to expense it, saying it would be used for business dealings. You, you play golf, you know, with your business partner, so you can expense that, but it was ultimately just it was tax fraud. He would 
fly prostitutes to him and call it a business expense. He would lie. That's tax fraud. As you pay your taxes, he was trying to avoid paying taxes. And yeah, that, that, he broke the law. Prostitution itself, he's breaking the law. The, the gun law, whether you like this one or not, the lying on a background check, and he did. They asked a question, are you addicted to anything? He said no, and he was actually had been in on and off care or treatment for his addiction. If he would have said yes, he wouldn't have got his gun, but he lied. He, that's a felony. He lied on a, on a background check form. All that is real. And there's the other stuff that doesn't... It's not technically criminal, but it's obviously corrupt. I just imagine if someone on the right had a son who did these things. He's on the board of a Ukrainian oil company. I believe it's called Burisma. Someone with no business background, no oil background, and no background at all in business dealings in Ukraine. Has He offers nothing to that company, except his last name, and they pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars for a, a job he doesn't show up to. He never seems to never go to any of the board meetings. And then while he's on that board, his vice president father is in part part of the decision making body about who gets different oil contracts. Does that, does that does that seem like some corruption to you? One of the ones to me that's just so so obvious, and it's it's obvious in a, again a laughable way. It's just kind of funny how obvious it is. Hunter Hunter Biden starts selling art, <laughs> like he does paintings. Uh, I cannot uh, say one way or the other if they're if they're good or not. I'm a bad judge of art, but he ends up selling paintings for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think one was in seven figures, and selling them to Chinese buyers and then other. Four nationals. Do how do we not just call that money laundering? I mean, he's he's not a famous artist. He's not really a famous person. The art wasn't that good by the standards of art that that gets sold right now. It was just a very clever way to amass wealth for himself using his name. A a Chinese government official buys your stupid little painting. For half a half a million dollars, and expects something for it. I mean, and he expects more than the painting. It's it, that's just hard to prove. But isn't that kind of obvious? And if it were the son of someone on the right, wouldn't it be obviously a corruption question? There's a uh, verified that some some Chinese official gave the guy a 1.5 carat diamond. I don't know how valuable that is. I suspect it's. Tens of thousands of dollars, probably not hundreds of thousands. And he has that in his possession. Like, there's something weird there. He seems to be getting a lot of money for not doing anything or doing dumb things, like painting. Painting's not dumb, by the way. But, like, he's not hes not a big deal painter. There's no reason that he should be able to paint something and get hundreds of thousands of dollars for it unless, he's, unless that person is buying something else. Unless it's buy one painting, get a lot of influence over the vice president of the United States with it. Or buy one painting and get influence with the current, or who would eventually become the President of the United States. Like There's just some obvious corruption there. Which leads to the third point. That's true. Everything I just said is true. There's laws broken. There is corruption. And then the, the people who 
have the power to investigate it, that's Republicans in the House, are seemingly going to pursue that. And while it might be right or just to do it, I, I would just speak into that to say, I think that's really bad strategy. If, it, if ultimately political parties have the job of winning elections, I think it is actually quite bad strategy. People who are particularly partisan or are really into politics, which is about... It's about 20% of the country, I guess. Maybe maybe, maybe 25%. They would care about that. And you can get your base fired up with those kinds of investigations. You can raise a lot of money off of it. But while 20 or 25% of the country really cares about politics, there is about 60 to 65% of the... Well, now it's... Last election, it was about 70%. Let's call it between 60 and 70% of the, of the country will vote. So there's a big chunk there that think that seem to think, according to the data, that, yeah, there is corruption here, but, man, stuff is really expensive, and the, the big cities in my state seem uninhabitable because of how expensive things are there and because of the crime problem they're having there, and I'm getting really worried about the quality of the education in my school. All of our metrics on education are diminishing, and my kid may know a lot about some kind of sexual indoctrination but, man, they're having trouble reading at the right level. And so you look uh, at a misaligned prioritization. Your average person who's not paying a ton of attention will hear, well, Hunter Biden is verifiably corrupt, and there is at least some evidence to suggest that it might implicate the President of the United States. I think the average person goes, yeah, they're criminal. I suspect Republicans are criminal and Democrats are criminal and both Parties are just criminal syndicates in some ways. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Again, I'm going broke. My kids can't read well, and I really don't feel like I can go to the big city in my state because it's it's crime-ridden. Anyone want to talk about that? I think that's the way. That's the way to winning. It's the, the hard part about D.C. Uh, bubble, the D.C. bubble. The stuff that the people in the like – the people who – um the word I'm looking for is the people who just – Decide elections. Suburban dwellers around the city of Milwaukee, suburban dwellers around the city of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and city dwellers around the cities of Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona, now around Las Vegas, and the Atlanta suburbs. The Because those, those people, the last three-ish, three, almost four election cycles, decided the outcome. And let me tell you who lives in those places. They work and make good money in Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Atlantic, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Las Vegas. They work in those places and make good money. Then they leave the city and they have large homes. They are four, four and five bedroom, 2,000, 2,200 square foot homes. They are often married with some kids. They're mostly irreligious, not not, not believers, they, they can be swayed one way or the other. And here's what they find. On the weekends, I don't want to go into the super cool city I'm in anymore. I live in this super awesome city, and it doesn't feel safe when I'm there. And I, man, I could have swore, like I, I got my fourth grader right here, I could have swore in fourth grade, I was getting pretty decent at division. And I'm getting, this, this young lady, my daughter, 
she seems to not know the multiplication tables all that quite well yet. And I could have sworn fourth grade, I was doing like one page book reports and there are parts of phonics that my kid doesn't know. Huh. And man, I make good money, but everything, like it is hard to budget with the expense of everything. The people who decide elections are experiencing those things and the party who might be able to help with that seems to have very little interest in it in relation to their interest to going after their political opponent. And they're, they're and they might be they are largely right. It appears there's real corruption in their political opponent. I just think it miscalibrates people's priorities and experiences to what their priorities are, and that's not a way to win. So usually a way to lose. All right, I put on the old politics hat. I'll, I might do that more as we move through the primary system. I am curious where you're leaning, especially on that um, primary process. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me. Look for Corey Truax. We'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. I don't know when I'll be back, but I suspect it's going to be soon. You can also find me here very soon on the Westminster Doxology podcast, where we're going to talk about my time at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. And Cody Fields and I from that podcast will be getting together to continue our post-millennial project talk. So keep an eye out for all of that. And thank you for listening. I'll be back with another new edition sometime here soon. Until then, everybody, peace and love.